health and fitness with David Hollywood. Vision's 103. And welcome to Health and Fitness. Turn this down. Hello and welcome to Health and Fitness with me, David Hollywood. Happy New Year, everybody. On this week's episode, we're talking about teaching, living and thriving through martial arts. We're about to be joined by a Midlands man who does all of the above. Why are there so many rules in school for our children? What's good for them? What's a complete waste of everybody's time? On Health and Fitness, we'll try knock some sense out of those questions. And Get Active with Midlands 103 is landing on the show later. Our very own Peter Dunn talks to us about the cause that inspired him to go from the couch to running a marathon. Right now, Tyrone Quinn is in the Midlands 103 studio. Tyrone, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, thanks for having me. Not at all. Come here. You're the head coach at Lakelands Jiu-Jitsu in Mullingar. You're also, I suppose, the business owner there, as it were, and a martial arts fighter. So there's loads to unpack there. But let's start at at the start. Where did Jiu-Jitsu and and, and martial arts come into your life? Right. um, Well, I've I've one of 12 children, so uh, you can imagine what that's like at home. Um, (laughs) And uh, many brothers, like sisters, um, what's the balance? Seven boys and five girls. That's amazing. Okay, so there was plenty rough and tumble probably growing up. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, But um, yeah, I had all the brothers, they were interested in martial arts, so I was kind of exposed to it from a young age. And um, I had a friend in first year in school who was from the US and he had trained in jiu-jitsu and a little bit of wrestling and stuff um, back before anyone was really exposed to it in Ireland. So when you were about 12 or 13. Exactly, like that, yeah. exactly. And we'd, you know, as you do, be play fighting and wrestling with each other and I just never stood a chance against him. He'd pin me to the ground and just, just you know, play with me like a child and I was, <laughs> it really opened my eyes to the effectiveness of martial arts or at least the jiu-jitsu and gave me a real a deep respect for it and an interest in learning. So that, that kind of sparked me off. Um, at the time, there was nowhere to train in Mullingar, much of the Midlands, to be honest. But, yeah. uh, so I just watched YouTube videos or I had some martial arts books that I would, I would, you know, just watch stuff in that and practice that on friends. And yeah, that kind of started me off a couple of years later then. Actually, before I even proper started training, just a, a little story to... Go on, to, yeah. To, to tell it, uh, <laughs> If I may, um, so I was in in school in third year, and I was just passing by the the leaving cert locker room, and someone just you know as you do as you do casually just grabbed me in a headlock, um, just unprovoked kind of a thing, you know, as happens when you're when you're a young lad. standard bullying fair exactly <laughs> right okay, um, and I just happened to know the counter to this you know headlock position from some videos and stuff and practicing my friends, so I did the counter, took us back. Sunk in a rear naked choke and, uh, you know, at this stage all his, his peers were howling. They thought this was hilarious because they saw the, the instant karma that had played out in front of them. So they weren't helping him. They luckily were on my side. But uh, so I said, you know, leave me alone or, you know, I could I could put you to sleep. And then so he surrendered, let go, immediately turned and attacked me again, you know, <laughs> trying to redeem himself. And I did the exact same thing again took his back, choke, controlled him. And at this stage, he realized, okay, this wasn't a, just by chance. This wasn't a fluke. He knows what he's doing. And he asked, how, how did you do that? And I said, so I there, was, there was a respect there. Yeah, kind no, of totally, totally. Yeah. Because I held him, I, I didn't hurt him. That's the beauty of jiu-jitsu. You can subdue an opponent without actually having to strike them or injure them too much. So I just held him and said, I could, you know, put you to sleep, but I, 
I happily won't, but you had to leave me alone. And then after he was asking me like, how did you do that? Like what? And I said, I trained jujitsu. And then just like walked off. And I was like, whoa, this is like a superpower. I felt great. You know, it's like, you know, in school where, you know, physical bullying is more of a thing. As an adult, thankfully, that doesn't seem to happen too much. Um, But But it was a formative moment, obviously. And we kind of, these things, when they happen to us in our lives, when we're developing, they can have a huge impact. And already in that moment, the person who was subject to your skills, as it were, be it you got them off YouTube or your 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 hobby interest at yeah. the time, um, he he had curiosity about it. So, like even at its most basic form, the the subject of of your jujitsu skills was curious about what what you had done thereafter. So, uh, how did this become so much of part of your life? Because I presume after that, then uh, you started to get more into it and explore how to how to skill up in jujitsu. Um, yeah, exactly. So then when I was just turned 16, I found a place in Mullingars that started a, okay. a, a guy called Pat Connell started coaching. Um, so it was a bunch of, you know, 30 plus aged uh, year old men. I was just turned 16, little skinny, frail guy, but I called up to a friend and the two of us went up. And Scary, I'd say, intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Initially. Yeah, yeah. Let's just like starting anything new, but um, definitely... Um, it was a nerve-wracking situation, but yeah, I loved it. And I knew, you know, they were so welcoming and help and took me under the wing. And yeah, I, I was delighted to learn because like the example I gave there, I knew it would, would help me if anything ever happened, you know, which it did occasionally, you know, like in school or where I just around where I grew up. Um, but it also meant just play wrestling, which is most of it. I never didn't really get in fights, but um then I could use it and yeah, it just helped my confidence really more than actually having to use it. It just meant I felt secure in situations where if anything did happen, you know, I, I, would, I would most likely be okay. Okay, so I think, and we've we've heard anyone who comes on health and fitness talking about martial arts and anybody I speak to about martial arts, the broader scope of it is that self-defense concept imbues you not with any sense of aggression or desire to, uh, for conflict but it gives you a sense of self-security which actually probably makes us all a lot more peaceful if we can walk around with that and and carry it. Um, I agree, definitely. You are, as I prefaced at the start of our conversation, the head coach at Lakelands Jiu-Jitsu. So when did you start imparting your knowledge about the sport, about the martial arts to other people? Um, so that club that I originally joined uh, Mullingar Grappling, that didn't last too long Um then I moved to Dublin. Then uh, once I finished school, because that's where all all the clubs were, you know, all, all the best guys trained in Dublin and mm-hmm. in Ireland. So I went there um, and where I trained for, for 10 years in, in SPG and one of the top clubs at the time it was the top club in the country. Um, and then I coached a bit there. Um, you, your coaching story started there towards yeah, so the I, kind of latter stage of your time SBG straight blast exactly. gym exactly I'm training well there I'm, I'm coaching a little bit there and I'm then meanwhile in during my 10 years up there a couple of the guys in Mullingar started uh, putting together stuff to, to get a club going there and I would come down then and teach once a week there but um, but a couple of the guys Rory Keena and, and, and Dave and, and Ronan would have um, been more behind the managerial side and getting it up and r- off the ground and, and up and running and I would come down then to share my knowledge that I was gaining 
up in Dublin and I was the one full time in it really trying to get good at the thing. Um and then I kind of gradually moved more and more into coaching. Um what do you get out of it? You know, when you started going out to the Midlands again from the club in Dublin and and passing on what you were learning to other people who were probably just as enthusiastic. Uh, what's that like for, for yourself? What was that like for your sense of self-esteem? Yeah, it was nice. You know, like I said, there was nowhere really for me to train growing up and I always wanted it there to be. So to be able to bring that expertise back to Mullingar where, where people could just learn in their own town was satisfying. At the start, it was just a means to, you know, get a couple of euro together so I could keep on training myself. To be honest, I was... More and that's kind of self selfish kind of mindset of just look after myself and get as good as I could. I didn't want to take on the load of coaching just yet. Not that I didn't like it, just was so focused on my on myself. And if you're committing to martial arts and jujitsu, you know it's it can be a dangerous game as well. You kind of want to go all in. So so I did that much, and then yeah, just naturally then came more present in the in the coach at home. And I moved back in around 2019 and, uh, yeah, started really uh, taking it on as a project. And, yeah, I loved it. Um, to quote my uh, my six-year-old niece, what she said the other day, making other people happy makes me happy. And I just thought that was very cute. But also it was a very wise thing to come out of a six-year-old's mouth. Um, a lot of adults haven't figured that much out. But in keeping with that, I think helping people progress um in especially in something that I'm I'm interested in and passionate about myself became very natural to me and uh, it's very very fulfilling yeah it does it gives you that sense of self fulfillment by the sounds of it how much time do you spend now coaching and training like do you lead classes are you taking care of different age groups that type of thing um yeah so like in the, we, we cater for you know kids from four up to Adults, um, you know, from ranging from you know hobbyists who train once every now and again to to people who are aspiring uh, professional athletes and who are competitors, and um, so I would be the 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 main coach. I would coach most of the classes lately. Um, in the afternoons, we'd have we'd have more of the full time kind of athletes, and then in the evening we'd have a mixture of both. Um, hobbyists and you know kids and and everything else okay so you've got to be pretty adaptable in how you're communicating to people be it the four-year-old or the aspiring uh professional fighter uh, how do you find that adaptation and change in kind of it, it's a change in everything i presume in terms of atmosphere teaching atmosphere and and messaging and, and all that yeah exactly i think that's you know the the first thing with coaching is you need to have the knowledge you know and I put in so much time studying and learning just for myself and my own competitive career. Um, so then I, I had that. Um, so then that gave me the confidence. Okay, if I could only give this knowledge uh, to other people, you know, I'll be a good coach. So, yeah, learning from all my own coaches and studying them and then using the tools then to uh, see what's the most appropriate, you know, and different people learn in different ways. Um uh, I learned a bit in college about coaching. Actually, we did some modules on it. Not that I, I paid much attention in college. Now, I only really <laughs> went there so I, I I could train all the time. That was my excuse to get to Dublin um, and scrape through that. Um, 
but did a did a degree in in uh, sport and exercise in UCD. Um, but one of the modules I did listen sometimes when it when it uh, was actually relevant mm-hmm. to me. But uh, in coaching, like the different coaching styles. Um, what is it? Autocratic, democratic, and holistic. Um, and so I would, you know, they're kind of just fancy jargony terms for common sense kind of things. But I would use a combination of them. You'd find that depending, on, depending the on the situation, the person, you you have to be able to be one of those kind of module, uh, uh, one of those models or a blend of all three. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So like with the beginners, say, you'd be more autocratic. So it's more just shut up and listen for the first little <laughs> while until you get a bit more proficient with the techniques. And then from there, then you can get a little bit more creative Um and then, you know, with the more advanced guys, it's a bit more of a democratic approach where they can, you know, see what they want to work on and, you know, let them, you know, let them speak. Just like learning anything, you know, if you're learning the guitar, you'd spend the first while, get your bearings, learn some some basic techniques and then, you know, then start making up your own stuff, I suppose. Okay, we're uh, going to come back very shortly. Next, we're talking about the life of a fighter. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood. Midlands 103. Welcome back. I'm joined in studio by the head coach from Lakelands Jiu-Jitsu in Mullingar, Tyrone Quinn. Tyrone, we're talking about coaching and training, but on the other side of the dynamic, you're a fighter as well. When I say you're a fighter, what feelings does that provoke in you? Um, that's an interesting question now. Um, you know, because... The word fighter, I think, has some violent connotations and stuff. I wouldn't consider myself that kind of person at all. I'm actually more of a pacifist. Mm. I've never been in a in a street fight or anything in my life. So, um, yeah, I, I would consider myself more of a lover than a fighter. But, you know, you can, you know, fight, um, you know, lots of different things. You know, you could, you could fight to protect or you could fight um, just to, to progress as a as a person, you know. Mm. In, in lots of different ways but that's just what, what comes to mind Okay um, we always hear about the kinds of sacrifices fighters have to make what are the kinds of sacrifices that you would make what are the ones that you know you feel the most Well um, health and wellness is actually because we're, we're this is a health and wellness show and all it's uh, I, I think it's appropriate but that's actually my main passion to be honest even beyond the martial arts in itself um, but just human optimization and um yeah looking after your your body mind um just so for for quality of life purposes and stuff like that 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 that's my a, a real strong passion of me and it has been since I was very young before I ever did martial arts but um so martial arts is more of a tool for to help me focus in and actually be disciplined with with that kind of stuff um because I can, I have the potential, I'll say, to, to be lazy, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> as an athlete, it, it, it could become a surprise then, but I'm, I was never very good at um, paying attention to stuff that I wasn't actually interested in. Um, so like in school, I, I, I would like to home ec and uh, because we talk about food and, and nutrition and stuff, and I thought, oh, this is, this is interesting, I can use this, this could help me in my life, or music, I could use it, but... Anyways, martial arts was like, it was a scary enough prospect, you know, to to compete against someone else, your weight, with, with your kind of experience. 
it was a scary enough prospect that it would keep me focused and disciplined and adhering to some of the wellness principles um you know basic stuff not not drinking and partying and stuff i i'm interested in, in that i went to college and stopped drinking and partying and just started training and cooking all my own meals and just either training uh, studying or learning about health um but um it's a mindset thing in a lot of respects by the sounds of it that eating well um living with a bit of self-regulation we can all find very difficult but if you find the right motivation then the mindset's very much easy to apply that that's what i'm getting at yeah and like that's my approach to this very extreme approach you know it's not for everyone but just for me um who did have difficulty just being disciplined with things it really focused me and um uh yeah i think uh definitely was like the resistance for my growth you know i i, I really believed that difficult things in in life are are the things are, are the greatest growth opportunities i think when we when we look back and reflect on our lives so i kind of was trying to throw myself into the fire a little bit so i would grow as a person you know mentally emotionally physically and uh, everything cuz cuz i knew i had to if I, if i was going to actually be a, a competitive athlete safe to say then martial arts uh fighting through jiu jitsu and mma has kind of escorted you through growing up in 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 a in a helpful way um talk us through what your day-to-day obligations are around Lakeland's jiu-jitsu you know what you have to actually do to run a gym like that um well there all there's there's all the admin kind of stuff that I won't bore you with um but the fun part for me is just being in the gym being around people helping them you know trying to create or help create a a, a positive community um so yeah I I don't call it work to be honest like you so, bounce so from class to class from person to person and if exactly. you can make your day about that then then you're happy we're running brutally out of time 100%. here um tell us then anybody listening who wants to maybe get involved and they are local to the Mullingar uh, gym uh, Lakelands Jiu Jitsu um I presume naturally they can just literally look up Lakelands Jiu Jitsu to exactly. find your operation yeah, yeah yeah just look us up um, this, it's a good time uh, it's January we're starting all our new courses we're starting a new women's uh, women's only self-defense course um, and yeah kids adults men women uh, if you're interested get get in touch we'd be happy to help a service that you're providing to the people of the Midlands we much appreciate, appreciate you coming in to talk to us Tyrone and congratulations on everything so far David thanks a million my pleasure the road to hell is paved with good intentions We're talking about school rules on health and fitness next. Health and fitness with David Hollywood. Midlands 103. Now, next on health and fitness, we are talking about rules. I think we can all remember a time when rules were the antithesis of what we wanted to do and who we wanted to be. And as we become an adult, we see that they do have a value. And then maybe as we become a parent, Uh, we become very concerned that they're followed because we appreciate younger people uh, don't necessarily uh, start out with the ambition of following them. Uh, But what about the question of whether or not the rules that are in place are indeed helping protect our children's welfare or are they just there as fixtures, furniture and wallpaper because they've been there uh, for so long? I'm very glad to say that a health and family uh, columnist with the Irish Times, uh, Jen Hogan, has joined us uh, to look at this particular issue. Jen, thanks very much for joining us on Health and Fitness this evening. Pleasure, David. Nice to be here. 
So you actually spoke to a school in the Midlands, an Offaly school, St. Brendan's Community School in Burr, about this issue. You spoke to a couple of students there and a teacher, but uh, we'll start off with the students' perspective. Josie Flanagan and Shahad Al-Mubayad won uh, the UCD Young Philosophers Award in their year group category. Uh, their project was called, <laughs> brilliantly called, On Will Kiatagum Dokadi on Leheris, uh, which instantly brings us back to a certain point in our lives. Um, and you were talking to them about how the rules in their school affect their lives and what their perspectives are on them. And generally, the takeaway there seems to be that their mindset is that they're very happy to follow rules if there's a demonstrable, practical reason to follow them. Um, For instance, school uniforms. You know, when I was reading your piece, I thought, oh, they'll be against this being teenagers or whatever it was. But they saw the value in that particular instance. I'm very happy for that rule to exist. Absolutely. Um, that was a surprising one for me, too. And Josie and Shahad um, and Kate, their teacher, actually got in touch with me following on from a piece that I had written about um, about toilets and rules around toilets. So the girls got in touch and spoke about the other um, rules that they felt maybe look, needed looking at. And uniforms came up, as, as you'd expect it would come up, especially with a uh, with teenagers. And there is actually, that was the surprising, they, they didn't have an issue with uniforms per se, but it, I suppose it's about making uniforms practical or or there being a reason for the uniform. Mm. So maybe things like um, the jackets that some schools will ha- ha- insist on, they might have to have a crest. And again, that would probably take us back to that whole thing of crested uniforms. Are, is it really that important that we have a crest or that we have uniforms in a certain way? And, and why they would have to wear a very particular style of jacket or a very particular style of shoe. Uh, they were asking questions about about th- that uniform. Well, they could see there was merit in wearing the uniform, you know, making everybody the same, taking away that financial pressure, maybe trying to not ha- not distinguish between those who can afford certain brands and those who can't. They could see the benefit of that. And the uniform had been altered um, to make it more inclusive. And it was now um, trousers only, although... Speaking to their teacher, there was questions raised about how some students would, would quite like to have had a, continued with the skirt mm. um, and they might have liked that option. But that had been taken away and now it was trousers for everybody. Um, they, they, just quite, they were just questioning around that. So, again, going back to what their project was, it wasn't necessarily so much that there was an issue with rules, but were some of the rules just arbitrary? Were they just there for the sake of it? And when you talk to these remarkable students and, and like they're incredible, but Josie and Shahid were so well informed and so well, were so well considered in in all aspects of this. You did come away kind of scratching your head going, why are we doing some of these things? Why are school? You couldn't give a reason for it. You know, it didn't make sense. And we just kind of have a tendency maybe to go along with it. And you can understand that maybe degree of frustration and particularly in light of COVID and the pandemic when things changed for a lot of us after the after restrictions. And even if you look at kind of things like work clothes, people tend to dress much more casually going to work. We're still dressing or or students are still expected to dress very much in the same manner. The rules didn't change hugely for them and things kind of continued largely. Mm. Um, And again, like they're open to them, very open to uh, accepting rules. But you can understand, uh, I suppose, that cry, make it make sense. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's a fair enough, I suppose, 
desire or request from the student, mm. but by the same token, uh, we're destined never to share the same perspective as people that age because they've not been through what we've been through nor seen what they've seen. Uh, but by the same token, they have a, a right to express themselves and and thankfully by the sounds of it, as as the generations go by, they're getting so much better at it and, and, and are so much more knowledgeable about it. But ultimately, a lot of the rules are in place to protect children's welfare and children. To one, to a certain degree, they'll never fully understand what it is. So there will have to be <laughs> that struggle is guaranteed to exist long term, I suppose. It is, but I think one of the really important, one of the really funny things when we were having the conversation, Josie has blue hair, and she, we, I said, I, I'll have to ask you about your hair because mm. I suppose knowing the different rules that exist in different schools, speaking to schools all the time and parents all the time and having my own children, there are different rules in different schools around things like hair. And I said, how is, how is that in your in your school? Are you allowed to? And it, it isn't an issue in her school. And yet we have parents from other schools getting in touch saying that their son maybe couldn't have a very short haircut or their daughter couldn't have an unnatural hair colour. Uh, there were even rules around some uh, some boys weren't allowed to dye their hair. And yet we would have maybe 13 or 14 year old girls who might dye their hair blonde or dye it brown or, or you know what, what's considered a natural color and um, because there seem to be rules around the unnatural colors like pink and blue and green they seem to be issues but not so much dyeing them other more uh acceptable colors uh, and and these kind of rules didn't for, for those parents they couldn't understand it was actually the parents were frustrated on their teenagers part going why is there one rule for my daughter and a different rule for my son yeah and um, what how does that impact or like what how is this in any way impacting on how they learn or their behavior or anything like that. And, and there were teachers came in on this as well, which was brilliant. It's always great to hear the teacher's perspective too. We had a teacher come in as well and she said, I, there's so many different battles, you know, that you could pick. Am I going to pick a battle about a facial piercing or about uh, the color of somebody's hair? Does this really matter in the grand scheme of things? Is it like, why does that rule exist? Why is blonde okay? But pink isn't. No, and, <laughs> and, and when you're trying to compel students to engage with education, you want to yeah. use up all of that capital on that particular struggle rather than maybe appearance. Absolutely. And, you know, we are encouraging our, you know, we're, we're telling our students and our teenagers and our younger children, you know, it is OK to be different. It's, it's wonderful to be you, be essentially you. Don't have pink hair instead of blonde <laughs> hair. No, you know, be essentially you within the confines of what's socially acceptable. Jen- and, and <laughs> go on. Sorry, I'm just Sorry. thinking. By the sounds of it, then what we're looking at is maybe moving towards each school having a more bespoke approach. That brings complications, yeah. of course. But you know, uh, more and more people's identity getting recognised. People could be neurodivergent. There's a number of things yeah. that can make up what a person is, and the requirements that would be completely fair to consider what they are heading into their their secondary school years, for instance. Um, do you think that's the direction of travel that? Uh, a rule book won't be comprehensively similar nationally across the board. Absolutely, and of course, because all because schools run independently, and because it's board, you know, the board of management are in charge of individual schools. We already have a degree of that, and you do see that variation in rules. But like you said, there with neurodiverse children, and um, and with people, I suppose, just being uniquely them, uh, recognizing. The roles that rules play, you know, because, you know, without them, perhaps we have anarchy and maybe there's a there's a very good reason for protection and, and for making sure schools run 
smoothly for having rules in place but maybe it's time to look at some of the more arbitrary ones and ask why they're there and maybe apply a degree of flexibility which again seems to vary from school to school some are very strict about how they um they uh, implicate the rules and others are much more relaxed about it and what as was pointed out by by Kate the teacher in the in the piece she she discussed you know the need to recognize when a child comes in particularly if a child maybe has ADHD or a child Mm. has some other additional need and then they come and if they're running late that strike against them going right that's it you're you're on detention that immediate punishment isn't necessarily appropriate it isn't just maybe about the rules it's about how we apply them to, to the students involved and that's a difficult one because you know if you've got a large school trying to make them work for every student in that school or trying to individualize them it's perhaps I suppose about going back to remembering that students and children are people too and everybody has days that just don't go the way we'd like them to go and people can be late for all manner of reasons so sometimes that it's an effort just actually getting to school and allowing for that rather than having that strict tar- harsh rule of if you are late this is the punishment this is your impl- your, yeah. your this is the consequence of, of being late and seeing the whole picture again easier said than done it's great to sit here and say that without having to apply to a, a school maybe a 500 550 no students exactly <laughs> i don't i don't envy them that that responsibility <laughs> and that task and, and and the work that teachers do and the conscientiousness yeah. with which they apply their profession is usually as a rule fantastic in this mm-hmm. country um, a final point I wanted to ask you on which I thought was very interesting uh, was maybe parents perspective and teachers perspective on on the kind of food that gets brought into school where they have maybe a a a rule that says no junk food is allowed to be brought in um, but then there's a concern on the other side of the coin that prohibition leads to uh, binge behaviours particularly over the course of adolescence um, now I don't know where exactly the science sits with that but it just goes to show another aspect here even in trying to do something complete, uh, you know you would think no junk food in school makes a lot of sense but there's consequences to each individual it's a very difficult thing to balance when it comes to coming up with the policy that affects everybody Absolutely. And uh, there was a there was a parent, a psychotherapist who commented on that, that idea of being mindful about how restrictive we are around what children are allowed to eat in school. And, and we are trying to balance that because we know, you know, we want to have our kids eating healthily. We want to have to make sure that they're not eating loads of junk in school. And we want to make sure that what they eat helps sustain them throughout the day. At the same time, anybody who's ever made a school lunch knows how difficult it is to get your child to actually eat in school. And there's a lot of parents coming at me saying, I just want them eating. I mean, they'll eat. I'll work on their vegetables and their fruit and their whatever else at home. I don't want their lunches being policed in school and being told you can have this or you can't have that. And as a result, the whole lunch coming home or most of the lunch coming home or child getting stressed over what actually goes into school because that's not allowed and this is not allowed. And I think that's something that we need to be very mindful of and look at perhaps a little bit more closely. You know, it was that they say the road to hell paved with good intentions. And it is that idea. While the intention is really good, perhaps this is a place where we need to step back a little and allow maybe a bit more parental control when you hear of the difficulties that parent or that um, parents are having with getting their children to eat. And when you hear of that kind of commentary coming from, uh, you know, a psychotherapist saying that, 
it can lead to a fussiness or difficulties around um around eating and around food consumption we're, we're so in tune with this in one degree like we're we're so much better about this and being mindful as our teenagers in particular grow up and making sure you know to try and keep them eating healthily but not become obsessive about food but the school lunch thing kind of maybe flips that a little bit again with the best of intentions of trying to keep people eating healthy and with the fear that if they you know allowed children to bring in whatever they want that we could have one student bringing in huge amounts of junk and somebody else feeling that another parent's arguing that maybe well now I feel the pressure to send in chocolate because somebody else is bringing in chocolate or jellies and and that kind of worry around that I suppose it's about balance it's about understanding that balance is what's needed and, and rather than overly obsessing on the healthy lunches, accepting balance and, and maybe handing back a little bit of ownership to parents and hoping that common sense will prevail. Yeah, that's uh, probably a nice point to finish on. We can live in hope and at least we're having these conversations. Jen, mm-hmm. uh, our listeners can read your piece in the Irish Times or on the Irish Times website. Uh, we very much thank you for talking us through it on health and fitness this week. Thanks a million, David. Our breakfast maestro, Peter Dunn, is in studio next to tell you why he's running a marathon. He's already raised over €1,000 for Bartstown. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood. Fitlands 103. I am joined in studio, uh, as he's just reminded me, by the former producer of Health and Fitness, uh, currently the presenter (laughs) of Breakfast with Peter Dunn. Therefore, it must be Peter Dunn. Peter, how are you? Thank you very much, David. Thank you for having me on the show. Not at it's all. It's an absolute privilege was, and an honour to be here. It's actually weird to be on the other side of the table. I was telling you <laughs> just before we started, you're going to make your debut on Health and Fitness and you're like, I, I produced the yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> when the uh, the brilliant Diane Cooper was here before you. She's so, a legend. Uh, she's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay, so um, we're not having you in just to have a, a catch up and nasher and a chat. Mm-hmm. Um, you're taking on a serious job of work and it is absolutely up our street. Uh, what is Get Active with Midlands 103? You're the star of this particular demented show. Uh, <laughs> let's e- explain <laughs> it to us and then uh, we might get into some of your motivations thereafter. Yeah, so Get Active with Midlands 103 started out as um, most great ideas in the pub after a few pints of porter <laughs> and uh, we were there with a few friends of ours and a good friend of mine uh, Christopher Cribben was with me and uh, after a few pints we were chatting away and you know, Christy would have done like 16 marathons okay, and we were well. chatting away about running or whatever and I said you know something I wouldn't mind trying a marathon and he just looked at me I'll never forget it he looked at me and he kind of spun around in his chair and he went Really? And he was taking his phone out at the same time. And he said, there's one coming up in Manchester in April. Would you be up for that? And I went, oh, no. So rather than somebody going, ah, fair play to you, that sounds good. Mm. And then moving on to a different subject, he Mm. called me on it and put it to me. And it wasn't until the following day. My wife said to me, "Yeah, uh, oh, you agreed to do a marathon. That's the, <laughs> like, uh, you're joking, did I? Talk so, about the fear. Hey, oh, exactly. <laughs> and then even worse, Christy sent me a message going, we'll register for this. So I'll register or you register us, whatever you want to do. Like, no, the, oh, no. It, it's just it. <laughs> <laughs> off to the races literally immediately. And obviously he knew how to push your buttons. You're a Manchester United fan. Yeah, so yeah. You're going to do this marathon in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Um, how many marathons have you run up to now? Uh, how much race experience have you got? So far? Yeah. None. In, in your whole life? No. I I never ran 5K. Wow. More than 5K, sorry. I, I did before on the road and I just got bored. Like <laughs> It was about 12 years ago and I was just like, I don't like this. This is 
boring. Fascinating. So, okay, so yeah. this, this braggadocio in the pub has led you into a situation <laughs> where you're running over 40 consecutive kilometres. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. I probably should have looked into it a little bit more than agreeing to do it because, um, you know, you run five kilometres and you're doing the maths and you go, okay, I've only another 37 and a half to go. Mm. How in the name of God am I going to do this? And uh, so we decided to put a plan in place and uh, we got a plan from the internet. Good. And good. We're, we're going to follow this. And I'm kind of dependent on Chrissy a little bit to kind of push me on and tell me what to do and what not to do. You've got the expertise there, at least anyway. He's at ran least, so yeah. many of these. Exactly, yeah. Presumably, he's figured out what works. And if you follow his lead, you should be in pretty good shape. Hopefully. You, hope. That's it. Yeah. Hopefully. So, uh, yeah, so we have a plan. And uh, week one was just before Christmas appropriately timed yeah yeah you know? you, just just before you the busiest time of the year take and on a few too many calories yeah exactly so uh, it was to run rest Monday I could do that no problem <laughs> Tuesday Wednesday Thursday consecutively run 5 kilometres and then at the weekend you were to run 10 kilometres on the Sunday so 25 kilometres in the first week yeah and then slip in maybe um, a cross train like a swim or a cycle or whatever in there that's, that's a tough first week it is yeah yeah How How did you find that? Uh, Sore, to be honest (laughs) with you. Really, really sore. Um, I've discovered muscles I never knew existed. I discovered pain I never knew. I I discovered sounds that come out of me (laughs) that I never knew existed. Like getting off a chair and you're going... (laughs) So it's uh, very, very painful. Um, But as the weeks go on... The more you get over that pain, uh, the easier it does become because you're kind of you're caught in that limbo of is this pain or is it an injury? How do I know the difference? Sure, yeah. You know, how do I know? What should I do? So I uh, I got in contact with uh, Physio Central in Tullamore and Kyle Egan's been absolutely brilliant. So he's kind of guiding us through that as well. And um, you can hear more about that on the podcast online on midlands103.com. Get, Get that plug in. Good Midlands 103. There you go. So uh, he's been brilliant. So uh, advice to anybody who's uh, looking to start uh, anything like this, like marathon training, just pop into a physio, have a chat with them. They'll do a full assessment on you because st- I still have pains and I still have niggles and stuff to work out. We're going to work on that in the next couple of weeks as well. But uh, yeah, it brings, up, it brings up a little bit of pain and it brings up a bit of doubt as well because I'm 40 this year. Okay. So I'm thinking to myself like, I've never ran before like am, am I just am I cutting myself it have, has a, a, an adulthood of neglect led you to not be able to actually very much do so this, yeah know? yeah and I mean it's it's funny because it kind of leads on to the question of can anybody run a marathon yeah because most people go I'm not a runner I don't run or I can't run because this 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 I, I, I'm one of those as well so um, I decided to explore you know, what it takes to run a marathon. And I said, look, I'll have a look online and I'll see if there's any podcasts. I couldn't find any podcasts to guide you through the process of a marathon, the 19-odd weeks of training you have yeah, to do. Yeah, 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 okay. So that's why we said we'll put this feature together. So we'll put it out on podcasts, we put it out on breakfast on Midlands Today uh, every Wednesday as well. So just an update on how we're getting on, um, an update on what we have to do and the ups and the downs as well. And like everybody's marathon is a unique story. I think. I don't think anybody does a marathon because they like running. Okay. You, there's more behind it. Yeah. You know, you have people who want to meet other people, people who want to make friends, people who want to improve their lifestyle, uh, just get out and clear their head. It's great for your mental health as well to just get out and, and run. And you feel like you've achieved something for today as well. 
Um, you know, there's so many stories behind everybody's marathon training. Everybody's has a great story behind it and everybody's is unique. So and that's what I'm trying to dig into a little bit more. OK, so we're going to get those updates uh, and we have been on Wednesdays uh, through yourself and on Midlands today as well. Uh, We'll talk about your motivation, your kind of reason for doing this and, and, and who's set to benefit shortly. First, uh, I want to drill into the, the, the program that you're doing just for a second mm-hmm. uh, from a fitness and, and a health perspective. As you say, the first official week was just before Christmas, so it's not ideal. Talk to us how Christmas went um, and talk to us how you're feeling now because you're a couple of weeks further along the way. And if you're sticking to any sort of plan, I imagine... You're starting to feel a bit of dividend and a bit of reward for the hard work. Definitely. Christmas was um, Christmas was tough in a way because, you know, uh, Christmas Eve, I had to go out for a run. Uh, <laughs> Stevens's Day, I had to go out for a run as well. A roll. <laughs> exactly. Down the hill, not back up it because the amount of turkey I consumed and celebrations and mince pies and uh, one or two okay. tipples, you know yourself. You didn't hold back then. You kind of, you no. did allow yourself to enjoy Christmas. <laughs> oh, I did. I enjoyed Christmas. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Um, it, it was all, like getting out of the house is like getting up off the couch is probably the toughest thing you'll ever do the yeah. run is easy but the decision you make to get up and get out and make time for it and um, you know that was okay at the same time um, like uh, the marathon plan you're talking about there it, I found it to be very impractical okay because you're you're working full time um, you know, like myself, I've got young kids at home. So by the time I, I pick them up from school, do the school run, I bring them home, we do their homework. Uh, you know, we bring them off to activities, football, hurling, camogie, dancing, uh, drama, ballet, whatever they've on. And then you bring them home again, you make their dinner and that. There's a very small window of opportunity that you can actually get out and do some training. And come here, you're the breakfast show presenter, so mm. you have a bedtime uh, yeah. akin to theirs. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you do get them down, there's not much left in the tank, I imagine. You're 100% right because, you know, the kids will go to bed about half, seven, eight o'clock. I go to bed at nine. Yeah. So by the time you get them to bed, you know yourself, you have to clean the house up, you have to get them organised, their lunch and all that kind of stuff, your own lunch. You might sit down for maybe 15 minutes, have a cup of tea, and that's it. You're gone to bed again. So it's very tough to kind of sandwich in that time to, to train because if you're going to go for a run, it's not a 30-minute run. It's the warm-up beforehand. It's the warm down before or afterwards. It's the, the shower afterwards as well. You know, if you're going to um, go a specific route, you might drive there and run and then have to drive back. So it's probably, you're looking at about an hour and a half, two hours yeah. to try and get that time in for the training. So... <laughs> It it does seem very impractical. You've, uh, so it's impractical. Have you managed to more or less uh, get get the required mileage in as per the plan, or you're you're kind of are you making your peace with what you can do? Is just going to have to be enough. That's it. I mean, it, yeah, you're just the long runs are the important ones. What I'm told about. Um, again, I don't have a clue about anything. <laughs> I, I, I'm going into it with a blank canvas, and that's you know that's what I'm hoping to do. Is anybody that. Uh, doesn't know anything about it well come with me and I'll figure it out and we'll figure it out together and people have been saying to me and in fairness our listeners are brilliant because they'll text and they'll WhatsApp in or they'll email and go look here's a bit of advice I've done this before that's that's exactly what I want you know it's brilliant to get that advice from people saying look don't worry about this 
you know, or try and get in a run when you can, but don't be too focused on trying to get X amount of mileage in during the week. Just focus on your, your long runs at the weekend and that as well. So it's great to get that advice and that uh, the community we I'm have here in the Midlands. Just going to say, you're kind of building up your own little community here in the I I watched it from a small distance and seeing the work that you've done in promoting this this initiative and it's been really impressive to see the amount of buy-in that people have had local businesses uh, mm. listeners texting in and your colleagues I suddenly found myself agreeing to run the Mullingar half hour yes. with you so. yes which will be revealed on next week's episode <laughs> excellent uh, just to finish up then because uh, we are flat out of time as they say the people set to benefit apart from your own physicality as it were mm-hmm. um, Barrettstown <laughs> to, to tell us um, about what the feeling is when you you know what you're doing is raising what is already a kind of a mind-blowing amount of money to support Barrettstown Yeah well first of all Hearmed and Tullamore are powering this so we couldn't do it without Hearmed and Tullamore so um Rory and Rosen in Hearmed have been absolutely fantastic and they've been brilliant with their donations as well. But Barstown Children's Charity, they are an incredible charity. They're based in Kildare and uh, we were invited there last year. Um, My daughter has a condition and we were invited there as a result. And the work they do is absolute magic and uh, they call it serious fun. And, you know, look, people have said it to me well, you know, you could um, generate funds for charities who can come up with cures for things and that. And I, I I thought to myself, you know, you're right. But in situations that people find themselves going to Bardstown, sometimes they don't get that cure. Sometimes they don't get the uh, the thumbs up from the doctor to consult and say, you know, you're good to go. So whatever time to have left, try and create that little bit of magic uh, with their families and uh, create some memories that last a lifetime and when when you see I'm emotional thinking about it now but when you see the work that Barristown do it is absolutely amazing and the magic they generate for them kids is just absolutely incredible so they could do it all the funding they can get because um, you know you can look you can fundraise for stuff and there's a lot of fundraising going on around the Midlands some brilliant causes but to um, create that magic space for, for kids is just uh, it, it's absolutely priceless. So um, if anybody can donate, you can click on midlands103.com. The first thing you'll see on the website is the banner. It'll just say "Get Active with Midlands 103." Click on that. It's our I Donate page, and if you can donate anything, one, two euro, five euro, whatever it is, it all goes to a great cause. Peter, we're all very proud of you here at the radio station. Uh, the best of luck with your endeavours, and uh, I look forward to observing and supporting you through it anyway. Thanks for joining us on Health and Fitness. Thanks, David. Look forward to seeing you in Mullingar on Paddy's Day as well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so apparently uh, I'll be taking part in the Mullingar Half Marathon with Peter, uh, but that will be announced in the middle of next week. It certainly wouldn't be announced on Health and Fitness uh, this evening. A big thanks to everyone who was involved in the making uh, of this show. Uh, Tyrone Quinn, uh, the head coach from Lakelands Jiu-Jitsu. Um, big thanks to him for coming into studio. I actually got a message in uh, from one of his students, uh, a white belt student in uh, Lakelands Jiu-Jitsu. 
Tyrone is, according to this unnamed messenger, an amazing coach uh, who is, uh, this guy's delighted that he's um, coaching in Mullingar. Hugely welcoming environment with a friendly bunch of people, both coaches and students. And just to add to that message, uh, he says uh, that, or she says that in just a couple of months that they're there, um, they got a gold medal in a recent jiu-jitsu competition. So well done you. Uh, well done, Tyrone, for all the great work they're doing in Lakeland's jiu-jitsu. A big thanks to Jen Hogan of the Irish Times for talking to us uh, about a school rules and Peter Dunn what a man the best luck with his marathon training I'll actually be back with you on the Saturday View with uh, Ronan Berry tomorrow we're talking about potential the 16 year old Luke Littler a world champion semi uh, runner up I should say um, maybe there's a few others from around the world uh, that have gone a similar track uh, will he fulfil his potential we'll ask that question tomorrow Joe Cooney is waiting in the wings with Country Roads next